Welcome back to another episode of Grownish. We're your hosts, Brooklyn Beatty. And I'm Josh Williams. And today we are here to talk about Black History Month. It's the new it's month February. of the year. It's February. We're we already it. there. I know. We've made it. Through the first month already of 2021. One twelfth done. Not as bad as what we thought. Uh, yeah, not as bad. Um, Still not great, but compared to 2020, I'll take it. You know, last episode that we had, we talked about um, some historical facts that were happening. Mm-hmm. We went through a timeline of history. This month's episode felt, um, at least this start of the month's episode, felt like it was appropriate to um, pay homage to Black History Month and take a look back at the, the last, well, I shouldn't say the last, but take a look over history's time and, and see who has inspired us along the way and uh, maybe bring out some of these historical figures Um how did we get to this point where we decided that we would do this episode? Um, I think it really came to fruition. We were talking about um, Kamala Harris becoming the vice president. Right. So then we were talking about people who inspired us, talking about not only the first female vice president, but first woman of color in any sort of office, you know, that high up. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about that, and then we kind of started brainstorming about, oh, we should talk about black history in its entirety. Well, February's coming up. Let's do it now. And I will say this episode is going to be jam-packed with not only our opinions and people who we think or people who inspired us over history, but it's also full of facts and information that I actually have been researching the past couple of days just to kind of bring it to the table and bring it to the listeners. And not to tease too much, but from our little pre-production meeting, it sounds like you have a list of uh, things that you have found out um, that weren't taught. In the history books during school. That's right. There's actually a lot of black history, at least where I went to school, I didn't learn. And a lot of students didn't learn. So I actually took it upon myself to Google black history you aren't taught in school because there's a lot of it. Right. And it didn't it took me until last year to actually realize how much is left out. And I have some really interesting facts and tidbits and things that I didn't know. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that didn't know either. So be prepared to go on a journey of learning with us this afternoon. Learning with Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And we're also going to take a peek too at um, um, we're going to take a peek at our figures that we've presented uh, male and female um, over the course of time here and, and let you know who these people are what they did in the course to be so monumentous that here we are. Some of these folks, uh, at least on my list, I have some from 1955, 1966 um, and so to survive the test of times, their stories are still being told today um, and, and that's what this episode is about is to maybe shed some light on things you may or may not have known and uh, hear stories of people that you may be familiar with but may not have known this about them. So I'm I'm very excited about this one, Brooklyn. Me too. And speaking of stuff that you may ha- not have known, I was Googling, obviously, a major figure in the, you know, black history movement and civil rights, and that's obviously Martin Luther King Jr. And everyone knows him majorly by his I Have a Dream speech, correct? Correct. But if you Google Martin Luther King Jr. quotes, I mean, there are hundreds. And some of them some of them are just very, very inspiring and thought-provoking. And I thought we could start this show off by kind of reading some of those quotes off. Because I know that you really like quotes. I really like I quotes. I love quotes. And so I kind of pulled, I pulled four of them that really kind of struck me when I was preparing for this episode. So I will go ahead and read the first one. It says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. I love that. I love that. That is just, I don't know. I mean, it's its so true. And obviously, we can't fly. But at the same time, it's like, no matter what you do, no matter how slow your process is or what steps you have to take, if they're little, just keep moving forward because you got it. You can't just stay stagnant. Let's let's take a look at that. And, you know, part of this episode is, is really taking not just a... You know, a glance over, but and an in-depth look at this. What does this quote mean to you? And thinking about the year and the era and the time that it was written in, thinking about all of the marches and, and mm-hmm. you know, movements that were going on during that time, he's telling his folks that no matter what kind of oppression that you get there, right, no matter what kind of walls that you face in front of you, you may have to get to the point where you're on your hands and knees crawling through the dirt to get to wherever you got to go. But don't stop. Don't stop. Think about how important that is today mm-hmm. to all the movements that are going on. Don't stop, right? I mean, it's this is a timeless quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you put that on there. 
All right, well, quote number two, this is a little bit longer of a quote. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There's something good in the worst of us and something evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we're less prone to hate our enemies. You know what makes me instantly think about with this quote um, is one, this man's ginormous heart. Mm -hmm. It it makes me think of Pope John Paul II. You know, many people in our generation may have forgotten, but Pope John Paul II had an assassination attempt on him. He was shot. I remember one of the first things I learned in the books was this Pope going back to the jail cell to sit down with the man who attempted to take his life, gave him forgiveness, hugged the man. That man cried in Pope John Paul II's arms. And I think about what all of this right here meant. Because that also happened after this quote was put down on paper. Yeah. said by that man. The line that says, he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. That just really, I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about. But it's like if you continuously choose not to forgive those who have wronged you, you're going to continue to have hate in your heart for the rest of your life. There is some good in the worst of us, and there is some evil in the best of us. That's so true. Oh, my god! No one's perfect. That's really what this is telling you. No one's perfect. Forgive. Don't always have to forget, but forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you're going to have that hate. You're not going to be able to love. I love so, this one. I love this one. The next one? Or the one that we just read? Uh, the one that we just read there. There's oh. just so much in there that we could talk about. But Okay, well, the third one, then. This is another one. It's a, it's a good one. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Think of all the voices that have spoken up in the last year, right? Think of all the voices that spoke up then. Yeah. Right? All the people that, that, that decided not to have their lives end that day, or even the last two years here in our nation. I think about that when he's saying these words here again. And he's really living his words like he's he's, you know, just not talking the talk. He's walking the walk because think about, you know, he never gave up with, you know, all the hate speech and people who disliked him and were out to get him. And he always continued to speak up and not stay silent because he knew what mattered and what needed to have a voice to it. And so it's always nice to know that, you know, quotes like this, they're actually being lived out and carried through and they weren't just words. One of the things, too, that strikes me about Dr. Martin Luther King is um, when he was jailed um, and arrested, uh, and I believe um, it took the hands of John F. Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy to help free um, Martin Luther King from jail. And um, you just think about all the, the, the perseverance that that man had to possess is still continuing putting God's work into existence with all of these these words that he's putting into the universe, mm-hmm. you know, talking, we talk about th- talking things into action. Here you are. This man had all the reasons to stop, to stop, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't. The, oh, ah, there's there's so much we could talk he's about. He's so inspiring. Well, last quote I have listed, and this one struck me because we've talked about this before about taking small steps, and not everything has to be a leap, but you have to build yourself up. So the quote is, I cannot do, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. So if you can't do something major and great and make something happen immediately, if you do small things in a great way, it's eventually going to lead to a great thing, right? Building blocks. Exactly. Right. So he was saying the same thing that we've been saying the past few episodes. I feel like we've talked about that a couple times now. Yeah. But so it's something we're still I had to mention that. keep talking about it. I mean, of course. Absolutely. So those are our Martin Luther King Jr. quotes. But trust me, if you like these kind of quotes... Just Google MLK Jr. quotes, and there are, I think, the, the, the website I was looking at to find these ones, there were 120 of them. Of um, just Martin Luther just King. Just Martin Luther King quotes. That's And incredible. so I took four that struck, or stuck me, or struck me, rather, um, as important and thought-provoking, but obviously, I mean, there's over 100 to choose from, so... I love that. Let's take a moment then and take a quick break, because coming up next, we're going to talk about black figures throughout history that have inspired us. And I know that we both have a list of at least five each to talk about. Um, By the way, before we do take a break, I I want to implore all of you who are listening or who will listen to this episode. If you've never heard the Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech, please do take a moment this month and listen to it. Take 20 minutes out of your day and listen to this. And I promise you 
If you really, truly listen to these words, you'll walk away with something. It's beautiful. And welcome back to our Black History Month episode of Grownish. Now we're going to talk about some black figures that we have found to be very inspiring, whether it was from the past, the present, anybody in between. Um, and I don't know if you wouldn't want to go first and uh, name one of your figures that you wrote down. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started back uh, this uh, this gal. Her name is Althea Gibson. Mm-hmm. Now, before Venus and Serena Williams dominated the tennis courts at all, there was Althea Gibson. And as the first black woman to compete on the World Tennis Tour, she won her first Grand Slam in 1956. Uh, she was a true titan in sport that was basically all whites at the time, uh, both then and now, if you really think about it. Um, in total, she racked up six Grand Slam single titles. After her retirement, she went on to become um, the New Jersey State Commissioner of Athletics before taking a position on the governor's Council of Physical Fitness um, for many years. Um, Althea it was one of those trendsetters back in the day um, who kind of paved ways for like girls like Venus, mm-hmm. Serena Williams, and so much more to come to say, hey, this isn't just a white sport. We can play too, and we're pretty good at it. And it came in. And they did their thing. And Althea Gibson, she's got to be one of those girls that um, will always go down in the, the, the history of time there. Well, props to Althea. I know. I love that name. Althea. Me too. That's so unique, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, old-timey name. Well, I also have another athlete that I want to mention, which was crazy that I'm bringing up athletes, if you know me. But <laughs> you know I found about her. this girl, and I honestly feel bad because I didn't even know who this was until I was doing research. But I thought I needed to mention her. Her name is Allison Felix. Okay. She's a track and field star, and you know why she's amazing is why is that she is she broke Usain Bolt's record for the most ever gold medals won at a world championship. No and way. And what frustrates me is I know who Usain Bolt is, but I've never heard of Allison Felix. She has thirteen gold medals in track and field, and she's a four time Olympian. And I just had to mention her because you hear about it. I mean, this is this is my feminist side coming out, too. <laughs> Not only is black history, but me. I'm like, this woman needs to be talked about. Right. You hear about Usain Bolt all the time. And this woman's got more awards than he does. She is incredible. So too. and she's still she hasn't retired yet, I believe. Right. I don't th- I don't think so, because this was just in 2019 that she was a four time Olympian. So, so she's still got I, the next summer Olympics to boot. You never know oh, my goodness. how she's many she'll have by the end. Dominate the stage. Exactly. So Ooh. had to mention her. Oh, we. All right, so I'm going to stay on the, the same fashion here. I'm going to stay with uh, another lady who was a trendsetter back in the 50s and 60s, Wilma Rudolph. No one paved the way for black female track and field athletes quite like Wilma Rudolph did. And at the young age, she faced adversity, and she, had, she was diagnosed with polio. Um, but that didn't stop her from racking up three gold medals during the 1960 Olympics. Her performance, I'm telling you, compelled so many young female teenagers to take an interest in not only sports in general, but track and field. A winner, an inspiration, the embodiment of an icon is what Wilma Rudolph was in those 50s and 60s era. And it was beautiful. And I can't imagine, I would love to hear stories of all the people that Wilma inspired along the way. Because I would love to see if maybe Felix here, has been inspired by the one and only it's a possibility. Rudolph. So that's that's my lady of history here. All right, this is a more recent figure, but she is an actress, Holly Berry. Oh. And you know why I had to mention her is because in 2002, I didn't even know this until I was looking her up. In 2002, she became the first and still only black woman to be named best actress at the Oscars. What? Holly no Berry. I did not first know that. First black woman to be named Best Actress, it's for the leading role in Monsters Ball, which I have actually not seen Monsters Ball, but now I think I should check it out. Um, and I really liked this quote that she had while, while uh, accepting the award for this. She said, this moment is so much bigger than me. It's for every nameless, 
faceless woman of color that now has a chance because this door tonight has been opened. Thank you. I am so honored. Oh, my gosh. That's beautiful. She opened the door. That is beautiful. Yes. So congrats to Holly Berry. I had no idea, but 18 years ago. That's amazing. I'm going to switch it up here. I'm going to go still stay with sports, but uh, go back to the Olympic stage and something that happened in 1968. This was huge. John Carlos and Tommy Smith. And if you don't know, usually the Olympics are a time when all the world's problems cease to exist, at least for a short moment in time. But after winning the gold and bronze medals for the 200-meter dash, John Carlos and Tommy Smith, they used their time at the podium to address an issue that would not go away. The racial injustice blacks were facing here in America. And um, with a simple black power salute, Carlos and Smith, they were immediately suspended from the U.S. Olympic team and received death death threats once they returned home. Years later, they were regarded as American heroes. Wow. Progression, my friends, is a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. Death threats. Unbelievable, though. Yeah. To take that moment in time to put your fists in the air like that. Can you imagine for the folks who are watching this on television, which I think, by the way, 1968 Olympics were one of the first really televised Olympics here in the country. That would probably fit the timeline, yeah. I. 1968, man. Wow. Well, my next one. Have you heard of the shows? I'm sure you have. Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and How to Get Away with Murder. Mm, I've heard of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. Yeah, Scandal. All right. Well, Shonda Rhimes, she's a producer, screenwriter, and author. She has produced those shows. Um, And with Grey's Anatomy, she actually was the first black woman to create and produce a top 10 network series. What? And everyone watches Grey's. I've actually never seen it, but I I feel like that is one of the shows that you can bring up in almost any room and somebody is like, oh, I love Grey's Anatomy, right? Like, every, I feel like everyone knows yeah. someone that's obsessed with that show. <laughs> Somewhere, uh, so somehow. Shonda Rhimes, yes, she produced it. She's the first black woman to create and produce the top 10 network series. And I had to mention this because we've been watching this show, Bridgerton. She recently signed a multi-year $150 million deal with Netflix and she's developing eight new series including Bridgerton. So this woman not only has all these other shows under her belt, she's producing eight new shows, including one that is super popular right now and everyone can't stop talking about. Oh my gosh. I know. So I'm really proud of this lady. I'm excited for that. I know. So, And that's the thing. It's like, I know you and I have both watched this show. Yeah. It's incredible. If you haven't seen it, watch Bridgerton. I will say the first episode, I wasn't so sure about it. You're going to have a clue what's going it's on. It's set in old you know, English times, and they, they speak with a heavy accent. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But the more I'm wrapped up in it, I can't stop watching it now. But if she's involved in that show and she's got seven more coming, I can't even imagine how great they're going to be. They're going to be incredible. Because Grey's Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder, those are all super popular shows as well. So this lady is definitely doing what she's supposed to be doing out here in the world. I love it. Yeah. I love it. All right. So my athlete that I'm going to go with here is Arthur Ashe. To this day, Arthur Ashe, he still remains the only African-American to ever win Wimbledon, which is a U.S., um, US, I'm sorry, it's a tennis match. Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and the Australian Open. Um, Some folks might think that his contributions on the tennis courts were only just the beginning, though, of this man's impact on the world. Um, He was a tireless spokesperson for a variety of causes, including and not limited to the American civil rights movements and a push for equality among undocumented immigrants here in the United States. Before his untimely death uh, from AIDS in 1993, Ashe also was a huge advocate for HIV awareness. And um, at one point in time, I believe he had teamed up um, uh, back. I, I can't remember this. But this was when um, Queen, who's the guy from Queen? Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Him and Arthur Ashe had done a couple of things together. So Mm -hmm. Arthur Ashe there, 1969 to 1980, he was doing his thing. I'm going to lump these two together because they are actually both Olympic gymnasts. But I couldn't mention one without the other. 
So first we have Gabby Douglas, which everyone knows her if you pay attention to the Olympics at all. In 2012, she was the first woman of color to win the title of individual all-around champion in artistic gymnastics. And she was also the first black woman to earn gold in both the individual all-around and team competitions at the Olympic Games. And then there's Simone Biles, who also is an Olympic gymnast. And she, this was what she was notable for, the first female gymnast to win three world all-around titles in a row. She was the most decorated American gymnast with 30 total world and Olympic medals. And she won the most world championship medals by a woman gymnast in history, 25 of them, including 19 gold. So these girls have been out there putting in work in the Olympics. And like I said, if you've been watching the Olympics any at all in the past couple of years, you definitely know who they are. That's outstanding. Love that. All right. So let's take a look here at the 1966 Texas Western basketball team. Um, And prior to that season, no major college basketball team had ever had five African-American players in their starting lineup. But that unheard of squad pulled off something of a miracle that year. That year ended them with beating Kentucky 72-65 to in the national championship game. And uh, you think about that. In the state of Texas, in, in such rural grounds there, to do that in that backyard... I mean, it brings a smile to my face because I can't, I can't even picture a, a more perfect moment than to win a national championship, having the first all-black team, mm-hmm. starting lineup team, to do it. And you beat Kentucky. I have two more. This person I had to mention because not only are they a woman of color, but they are also transgender. You might know them from the show Orange is the New Black. Her name is Laverne Cox. She became the first transgender person to be nominated for an Emmy in 2014. And then also, in 2018, she earned the title of the first openly transgender woman to appear on Cosmopolitan's cover for South Africa edition. I don't know if you've ever seen her in any shows, but she's amazing. But she's always been very open about her supporting the LGBTQ community, um, open about her transgender journey. So not only is she a woman of color, but she's also been killing it in that category as well. So I couldn't go without mentioning Laverne Cox. I love that one as well. I'm going to mention Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith. Um, And it's a name that's familiar to folks around these parts up here in Indiana because Tony Dungy was the longtime coach of the Indianapolis Colts and Lovey Smith was the longtime coach of the Chicago Bears. And on a monumentous day, for NFL, Super Bowl 41 marked the first time two black head coaches were in a Super Bowl. And uh, the game put the rest, the racist theory that African Americans couldn't be successful coaches. Now, if college athletic directors would only get behind the, the memo there, then, uh, you know, college sports might be in a different. But it is. It's heading. It's progressing every time. I didn't mean to make that jab there. But, you know, it's making that progression mm-hmm. all the time. And you have to love it. Herm Edwards took over as a head coach. Um, he was a longtime, um, you know, black coach in the NFL. He took over the Arizona State program out there. So, I mean, but Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith, I remember 2006 watching that Super Bowl. And I guess it would have been February of 2007. But that 2006 season, watching Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith go at it in Miami for the first Super Bowl ever that featured two African-American head coaches. And it was just... That's incredible. It was. It was uh, It was one of those... I can't believe I left out that moment in our historical timeline, but I didn't feel right to put what it in. What year was this again? This is 2006. Okay. 2007. Because they always played the Super Bowl the February after the season. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. That is incredible. Yeah. And you know, it really wasn't that long ago. No, no. We're not even two decades removed no, yet. No, we're not. All right. My very last one is the person that is one of the closest people to my heart in the celebrity world, and that is Beyonce. I couldn't not mention Beyonce. And if you don't know her, which will shock me if you don't, but she's a singer, songwriter, entertainer, actress, and entrepreneur. Most people know her as Queen B, and she's also married (laughs) to Jay-Z, if you listen to Jay-Z at all. Um, But did you know, actually, that she's earned the most Grammy nominations for a female artist She has 79 nominations, and she's the second most decorated female Grammy winner with 24 wins. And she's one of the only people who've ever performed at the Super Bowl twice. Wow, I had no idea. This girl is a queen. I love Beyonce. All the way Everything about her. From her start from Destiny's Child all the way to where she is now. And she is definitely one of those people who are very vocal about, you know... Black history and, you know, I don't 
just everything about her is so ex- inspiring to me. So, Queen Bee, we love you. Gotta love Queen Bee there, man. That just threw me on a nostalgic throwback from those days of Destiny's Child to where she is now. Yes. My last one that I'm going to talk about today is Hank Aaron. Um, he was a baseball player from 1954 to 1976, and obviously, you know, he just passed away recently. Hank Aaron faced everything from simple racial harassment to all the way at the other end of the spectrum of death threat, death, mm. death threats. Um, he went on to a very successful career in both business and baseball after he retired. Um, but he seemed like he was more so the voice of reason um, and grace in sporting landscape that's solely lacking in both. So you look at guys with the PEDs, uh, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, everyone using all of the uh, performance-enhancing drugs. But you got a guy in Hank Aaron. Never needed any of that stuff. But yet, he's number one in career RBIs, which is run batted in. He's number three in career hits. He's number two in career home runs. And number four in runs scored. And again, this man played his last bit of baseball in 1976. So for those records to stay where they are today, you better believe your bottom dollar down. This guy is the greatest baseball player ever to have lived, at least in our time frame and age. And, um, of course, you know, he passed away, um, you know, this year. So um, rest in peace, Hank Aaron. Thank you for the memories. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the cool things I always remember about Hank Aaron is when um, records were broken. And um, I'd have to go back to when uh, I think it was Barry Bonds broke. He broke Barry Bonds or Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's record. And on the video board in San Francisco at the ballpark there. Um, Hank Aaron had a special a special message that he recorded, video recorded, for the day and moment that that record would be broken. And he addressed it to not only the Barry Bonds there, but the whole entire fans that were in attendance of that game. So just a class act. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, young kids out there playing sports, he always was the one to be like, hey, kind of like a Barry Sanders, you know, act like you've been there before and respect mm-hmm. those two things he preached. I love it. So. That's a good list all in all. I think we all have a all. lot of good people that we mentioned today. That was great, man. All right. Well, should we take a break here and come back with some more facts? Yeah, let's take a break. All I'm right. Down. Stay tuned. So there's a study that was released in 2015 from the National Museum of African-American History and Culture and Oberg Research. And they found that on average, get this, only eight to nine percent of history class time in U.S. schools is actually devoted to black history. That's sickening. It's sickening. But as sad as this is to admit, I wasn't that surprised either. No, because I remember my history classes. And if I remember correctly, black history was maybe a chapter in our Big old history book, it really wasn't that much. So 8 to 9% really, I mean, it kind of stacks up, And for, as sad as that is to admit. Um, what really got me, though, from this study, though, was they said additional research found that students across the U.S. were familiar with monumental figures such as Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King Jr., and Rosa Parks, which obviously I could name why they're famous immediately. But in the majority of states, students often received Ds and Fs when tested on the civil rights movement. So even though they learned... Some of the big names, they didn't know the nitty gritty facts when it came down to civil rights. Another sad fact, but as sad as it is, it's it's still not that. I, I just remember learning that stuff in class and it doesn't really surprise me that these are the, the statistics for it. Because I remember what it felt like to be in those classes. And they kind of just do glaze over this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, besides, uh, you know, uh, doing the history month, I mean, honestly, what, what else are they... Uh... You know, cover in this. I mean, right. not to be that guy, but uh, really, it does kind of come down to that. That's they choose to just cover it during Black History Month, and then uh, you know, the rest of the school year, it's everything else. Learning about Christopher Columbus and all these things. Not to say anything, but you right, know. But exactly. How, how much long? How much do we learn about learning about the the Pinta de Minta or whatever that they wrote on in and Christopher Columbus and you know, finding the Americas and then doing what they did with the Native Americans. And Which, if you look into it, it's not factually all they correct They framed either. us to believe that we happily landed here yeah, and had a dinner sunshine and rainbows. Native Americans. It's not what I happened. I felt lied to. Oh, yeah. And Pocahontas only gave us a view, a little vantage point of that. 
You're talking about the movie? Yes. Oh, if you want to get into that, Pocahontas was actually a little kid, too, at the time. She was not the adult they portray her to be. Oh, uh, wow. We don't need to go there. That's yet. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But the thing is, like, there's so much history that we do not learn in school. And it kind of took the whole past year to two years of the Black Lives Matter movement and protests for me to think, okay, maybe there is stuff I should look up and kind of research for myself. And in that process, that's kind of where I came across some of these facts. So I wanted to maybe go through this article with you, kind of say some of the stories and facts that I found and kind of learn along with you some of these things and then also give our listeners a chance to learn some of these facts. Um, And I'll go ahead and jump in on our first one. You go for it. And that is one in four cowboys were black, which I never would have thought. And the only reason that's surprising to me is because I think of Westerns, movies, video games. I mean, there's so many things involving. Yes, involving cowboys and i always think of white men and that's not the case at all um basically the reason that was is because the cowboy lifestyle it first came into play in texas and this is when american settlers would invade the then mexican-owned territory this was in the early 1800s um and when they were invading that territory they brought a lot of enslaved people with them and they became they started settling down well by 1860 after texas became a part of the union 30 percent of the population of Texas was black. And because of that, one in four cowboys down the road ended up becoming black. But I don't know why. Well, I can tell you why, but I why this was admitted in history. And it's sad, but it's like, it's things like that where it's really not even that big of a thing. If it would have been told in the, you know what I mean? Like if it would have been, Hey, here's a black cowboy. We wouldn't have thought anything of it. Like that was just history. But the fact that it was taken out just frustrates me because it's like, why, you know? Yeah, man. It made somebody unhappy. Like what? Get out of here. Yeah. So it's just frustrating to me because it's like, it could have just easily been, it stayed part of history and we wouldn't have had any issues with that. It wasn't until Will Smith came along that the, I believe the screen, the, you know, silver screen saw their first black cowboy. Is that so? I don't know. I mean, it could be. Uh, that's the first time what I ever saw a black as, cowboy. What, what movie is that? Uh, Wild Wild West. Oh, right. Jim West. Right. Desperado. You know? And that might be the case in which it didn't, it, it was, it was, no, it was a new thing. Like, like you said, it was the first time people saw that. But in taboo. reality, that's actually history. That's weird. But it's I mean, history. You're right, though. You're right. I mean, but you're right. I'm actually putting that's myself back into the, 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 my, my shoes of at the time when I first saw that movie. And it's, Yeah. It did. It felt, it felt foreign, even though it felt natural. Even though it was, it's, it's was not there, supposed but, to be foreign, right? Yeah. So, wow. Right. That's one in four, though. One in four. 25%. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, that's the first fact of the day. Uh, do you want to come in with the next one? Yeah, I've got you. Um, and actually, this is going to be thrown back. You know, we're not too far outside of Detroit, home of uh, the automotive industry. And, of course, Indianapolis, well, we're known for cars as well. But that's why my first um, first fact that I wanted to bring out um, was a company that was founded by Charles Richard Patterson. Um, this was a man who was born into slavery in Virginia, 1983. Um, but between the uh, the years of 19, um, I'm sorry, 1841 and 1843, the, his family relocated and settled down in, in Greensfield, Ohio, uh, where Patterson's uh, began uh, doing skilled blacksmithing. Um, and they found the way to make some pretty high-quality products through the blacksmithing. Um, by 1873, they formed their own business um, partnership with a white man. His name was J.P. Lowe. Keep that guy in the back of your mind, J.P. Lowe. Just two decades later, he became the sole owner of this thing called C.R. Patterson & Sons. So from the years of 1893 to about 1910, the company had about 28 models of buggies and carriages that folks could buy from. Um, Patterson died in 1910. His sons, Frederick Patterson, he took over the company, transitioned it into uh, from horse carriages and eventually all the way into Patterson Greenfield Automobiles. So they had they basically made the transition from the turn of their own century, right, of having horse carriages and mm-hmm. things like that, now to making automobiles. Frederick, um, uh, which is uh, Charles Richards Patterson's son, um, he eventually uh, was the leading figure in his own uh, rite of passage. He was the first black man to play football for the Ohio State University. And the company gained success and great pride with the automobile, which was originally listed, and get this, $675 is how much it would cost you to buy a brand spanking wow. new CR Patterson 
model car. Unbelievable. You could go out um, and buy one today. Uh, yeah. And That's to, crazy. To this day, C.R. Patterson & Sons remains the only black-owned uh, black and operated automobile company in the history of America. You know what I find really cool about this story is not only are they the only black-owned and operated automobile company. I mean, that's amazing in itself. But then also his son becoming the first black man to play football. It's like they were breaking barriers all over the place. It was, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a family of literally trendsetters, which incredible. is incredible. Okay, so this next one is probably one of my favorite stories within this article because it's kind of pertinent to what we're dealing with in the world right now with coronavirus and vaccines. So as we all know, like... The whole vaccine movement's happening right now. We have all these companies competing for the best COVID vaccine. Well, I don't know if you know this, but vaccines probably would not even be a thing or they would have developed a lot differently than they did if it wasn't for a slave from the 16th century. No way. Yeah. So his name was Onesimus. And basically, in the early 16th century, he was sent to, uh, from Libya to Boston to the Puritan church minister, Cotton Mather. And during his time as a slave... Anisimus told Mather about a centuries-old technique of inoculation used in Africa. So listen to this. Tell me if it sounds familiar. He described how Africans would extract materials from an infected person, then scratch it into the skin of a non-infected person to create a system of immunity, just like we do with vaccines today. Well, because he was a slave talking to a white man, the white man took that information then and convinced a doctor in Boston to experiment with a technique when a smallpox epidemic hit the area in 1721. So we can really thank Anismus back in the 16th century for bringing the idea of a vaccine, what they called inoculation in Africa, to the United States, and thus creating what we have today, people dealing with vaccines, even Moderna, Pfizer, all of that. It all started back then. I find that truly incredible. I had never, ever heard that until today. Wow. I never have heard that either. Mm-mm. That's that's incredible. It all started right there. It did. Our next moment in history here, at least uh, one for the uh, record books here, uh, Bessie Coleman. Um, her brother was a World War One pilot, um, one of the... F- First uh, pilots in, in France over there um, came back home, and, and Bessie Coleman, um, when she started hearing stories of these female pilots in France, she knew that there was only one thing that she wanted to do with her life, and it became evident, at least from the things that we've read. Um, however, in that time period, though, uh, in this day and age, this is somewhere around 1911, 1920s, in that decade there, aviation programs, uh, they wouldn't accept her. She was a woman. Uh, and an African-American woman, nonetheless, and a Native American woman on top of that. Mm-hmm. So if the first wasn't enough and the second wasn't enough, add all three of those on top. So instead, you know what Coleman did? She took off for France. And in 1921, she attended the Cardone Brothers School of Aviation. She became the first African-American and Native, a woman, a Native American woman to pilot an airplane. She became famous for her flight tricks. She included making figure eight patterns in the sky. Coleman, hey, she became widely popular and toured the U.S. giving performances, lessons, and the best part of all, she was being an advocate, encouraging African-American women to fly. That's awesome. Yeah. Another person I'd never heard of, but I'm glad I heard about. Um, let me see where I was now. Oh, okay. This one... I wanted to mention just because I I feel like I've actually did learn this in passing, but I didn't realize, I guess, how big of a movement it was. So during World War II, historically black universities and colleges, they were a place for refuge for persecuted Jews seeking asylum from Nazi Germany, which I think I might have heard in passing. But what I didn't know was so it says despite the fact that the government attempted to limit the success of Jews administrators at historically black universities and colleges worked to hire and save the lives of 50 Jewish scholars and it just makes me think how much information knowledge history would have been changed or altered had they not saved those 50 scholars is just I mean it's one of those things where obviously everything happens for a reason and um, you can't go back and change things but it's just it's just incredible to think how much knowledge was gained and saved by them doing that. And, you know, it's two different persecuted groups of people. You have African-Americans, you have Jewish people, but to think that they came together to help one another out during times of struggle is just so amazing to hear. Absolutely. Um, We're going to take a look at another uh, inspiring lady. 
um, Catherine Johnson, um, you know, this West Virginia-born native in 1918, she excelled in mathematics from a young age, but she got to skip several grades throughout primary school. And Johnson, you know, of course, the native of West Virginia, attended West Virginia University. She was handpicked from a handful of students, and by a handful, I mean three black students, um, and the only black woman to attend WVU's graduate program. And in 1952, she began working for the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, which is the NACA, which slowly transitioned into the program we know today as NASA. There, she worked on an investigation of a plane crash, and she got to analyze the date from the flight tests and help kind of pinpoint the time span that this crash happened, which obviously is part of the investigation that uh, NTSA, you know, would go through in now's time. Um, when a, the Soviet Union um, satellite Sputnik launched in 1957, Johnson made that transition into mathematics for space travel and became part of the Space Task Force, which was the first official move into space ex- exploration. Johnson, she co-authored a report laying out ex- uh, the equations needed for orbital space flight, making the first woman credited as a research author for the team. Isn't that just incredible? She was out there doing the thing. That's amazing. In 2015, President Barack Obama awarded Johnson with the Presidential Medal of Freedom to honor her contributions. And she wow. was a subject of the 2016 movie Hidden Figures, which dramatized her for her work in Space Agency. That's so cool. I know. Absolutely. So if you didn't know who uh, Katherine Johnson was before. Now, you, you know. know. Okay. So this one definitely makes me a little bit of a, a little bit emotional um, because I realized the meaning and why this happened. But basically, we all know who Rosa Parks is. Um, she's one of the first people you actually do learn about when you are studying black history in school. Well, she actually was not the first African-American woman to refuse to give up her seat on a bus. It was actually a 15-year-old girl named Claudette Colvin. She did the same thing, and there were actually several black women who did the exact same thing before Rosa Parks. So, I'll take you back. On the same bus system in Montgomery, Alabama, Colvin refused to give up her seat to a white passenger. This happened nine months before Rosa Parks did the exact same thing. Like Rosa Parks, she was escorted off the bus by two police officers. She was arrested. She was hit with a fine. But Colvin did not even stop there. After everything happened, she went on to be one of the four women in the Browder versus Gale court case, which ultimately overturned bus segregation laws in the state of Alabama. And Josh, I know that we kind of looked into this a little bit because I was asking myself, why then was it not about Claudette Colvin? Why did we learn about Rosa Parks? Well, it's widely believed that Colvin didn't receive the same attention as Miss Rosa Parks for a couple of different things. One said that she didn't have good hair. Um, She was not fair-skinned. She was a teenager, and she got pregnant. The leaders in the civil rights movement tried to keep up appearances and make it to be the most appealing Mm. for protesters to see, you know, the most seen. Yeah. I don't even really have anything else to comment on that. I think it's just worth noting. It's pretty self-explanatory. Where exactly. was that? Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately. Do you want to go on with the next one on your list? Here's one that we can talk about. Uh, I learned about this, and I, I this is one of the first things that uh, you know I learned when we started diving deep into this. But in 1906, there was a district of Greenwood in Oklahoma that was developed on Native American territory. It quickly became settled by black Americans. Oklahoma was kind of seen as like a sort of a safe haven for black Americans looking for work. Uh, And after the Civil War, almost 50 black townships were formed throughout the states. Greenwood in itself became one of the wealthiest black communities in the U.S. And a number of black owned and operated businesses, restaurants, hotels, movie theaters, shops, banks and hospitals. They were all set up by black entrepreneurs. The community in itself was operated as a self-reliant area. The black business owners, they often would pull together their resources to uplift others who wanted to start their own companies. What does this sound like to you? Kind of sounds like Wall Street. Yeah. Right? This it's was just a, very community-based, though. This was a very, this was the first 
This was this was Black Wall Street. But during a period of a horrific racial violence, members of the Ku Klux Klan attacked Greenwood and left hundreds of black people dead mm-hmm. and thousands of homes destroyed. And uh, the violence honestly became as the it became known as the Tulsa Massacre of you know what, 1921. What um I have to mention this only because when I talked about earlier in the the show today um that there was a lot of history that I've been learning over the past year during the Black Lives Matter protests and movements that I knew I'd never learned before. This is actually one of the exact examples that I was reading about from, I think it was a friend of mine that posted on Facebook, and I thought to myself, I cannot believe that I don't know what they're talking about because this just sounds just sickening. You know, the the whole massacre situation, and I remember looking into it further and thinking, I know for a fact I did not learn about this in school. No, no. I know for a fact. Yeah, we, we did not learn about this in school. Yeah, so definitely look into that more if you are someone who is super interested in learning more about this movement because it is something I think should be taught in every history class. I did want to bring up Martin Luther King again only because we talked about him a little bit earlier. Obviously, he's a major voice in black history, civil rights movement. Um Earlier, I was reading some of his famous quotes that were not part of the I Have a Dream speech, but everyone knows him from that speech. And I don't know if you knew this. I did not know this. His speech was actually largely improvised. I Have a Dream. I did not know that. So back in 1963, during the March on Washington, King stepped up to the podium. He actually had a well-planned speech in hand. It was provided by his writer, Clarence Jones. But this is what's interesting. He looked out at the 250,000 audience, and instead of reading that pre-written speech, he just let passion move him and his heart dictate what he was going to say. And obviously, it's one of the greatest, most well-known speeches of all time, but it just speaks volumes to me that that speech just came from his heart and his mind and his soul, and it it was so, so moving still to this day. It just truly, it truly shows what kind of person he was. Well, it also shows that in 1964, Martin Luther King was the youngest person to ever be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. I didn't know that either. Yep. And that's why Martin Luther King Day is a national holiday Mm -hmm. um, from when he awarded that. There's a couple of things that we didn't know about Martin Luther King. Like, did you know that his actual birth name was Michael, not Martin? I did not know that either. Exactly. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. His I Have a Dream speech that you were just talking about was not his first at the Lincoln Memorial either. He had been there, done it, which maybe gave him a little bit more confidence when he walked up there and said, hey, I got this. Let me improvise this. I'm going to wing this one. It's going to be the greatest one yet. King was also imprisoned nearly 30 times. 30? 30 times. I mean, I knew he was in prison, but not that many times. Wow. And he also narrowly escaped an assassination attempt a decade prior to his actual the, the, his actual death. Unbelievable. Wow. I know. Just little facts that we didn't know since we're talking about Dr. Luke, Martin Luther King. Might mm-hmm. as well, right? Inspiring. Yeah. For sure. Good time to take a break. Definitely good time to take a break. Stay with us because coming up next, I wanted to just maybe give you a couple of show topics that we're going to be bringing up down the road. Stay tuned. And welcome back. I wanted to take a quick second to mention some episodes that you can look forward to down the road, because I think I mentioned this maybe an episode or two ago. Josh and I did sit down and kind of plan out the next few months, even honestly, some episode ideas all the way through December of 2021. You stuck with us for a year. At yeah, least. you are. At least we'll probably renew a contract before January of 2022. <laughs> um, but we do have some episodes planned coming up in the next couple of weeks that I think are going to be pretty fun. And the next one that's going to be released on February 8th, we're heading into Valentine's Day, ladies and gentlemen. And I know Josh kind of has a bone to pick with Valentine's Day. It's not that I have a bone to pick with Valentine's Day. I just, I I get the holiday. I understand it. But with everyone else being so, like, vomiting over this holiday, I would like to actually be the one to highlight the vomit instead of the holiday that it's vomiting on. So that's what we're going to be doing. Exactly. Exactly what he just said. Prepare for that episode. The happy... Of the unhappy Valentine's Day <laughs> special. 
So that's coming up next. We've also gonna we're gonna talk about a couple different books that both of us really like. There's one book in particular. It's called 101 Secrets You Should Know in Your 20s or You Should Learn oh, in Your 20s. Book. Something like that. I read it a couple years ago and I actually gave it to Josh to read now because I thought that book would bring a lot of topics for our show because obviously we're grownish. We are learning new things. So we're going to take an episode just to talk about that book in particular and things we can learn from it. And we all know Josh is obsessed with Matthew McConaughey and his book Green Lights. And I am. We've got to talk about that, too, in more detail, because you've had a couple times where you've mentioned some quotes from the book or things that have inspired you. But we've got a whole episode called Green Lights that's coming up here. In a I'll never weeks. look at a traffic light the same way again. It's a green light. Like when I hit a red light now, I'm wondering, is that a sign? Is life throwing me a sign right now? Like, what is this pausing me for? What is it stopping me for right now? Mm hmm. Mm. I'm looking at red lights, yellow lights, and green lights a whole different way now. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know about you, but I think we've got some good topics coming up in the future. Some fun stuff. Great topics. I'm really excited for the uh, uh, unhappy Valentine's Day when we get to highlight some of these horror stories of Valentine's Day. Worse, Valentine's Day's gifts, cards. Remember back in elementary school? Oh, my gosh. What is the gosh. most awkward Valentine's Day card that you received? Oh, and you had to turn them down. I'll have to think about it for a while. Obviously, I'll have it by next week, but... I've got some thinking to do, and I can't wait to hear your takes on all of this because I feel like you're even more passionate about this than I am. I'm passionate about being unhappy about Valentine's Day. Let's okay. get it. Where can people find you, Josh? Uh, you can find me on Twitter if you want, Josh R W underscore Williams, and uh, on Facebook, Josh Willie Williams. I'm also on Twitter at Radio Brooklyn, and on Facebook, just by finding my name, Brooklyn Beatty, you can like my page there. And Gronish, email us at gronishpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Gronish Podcast and Facebook, Gronish Podcast. Don't forget Brooklyn's Twitter, though. Radio Brooklyn. Right? Radio Brooklyn. Yeah, see, Radio Brooklyn. I'm also on TikTok, Radio Brooklyn, Is if you want to find me there. Did I say Tinder or TikTok? I think you said Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on Tinder. Okay. She's not on Tinder, folks. No. All right. Well, good show. That was fun. Excited to talk to you guys next week. Absolutely. Have a good one, folks. We'll see you then. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.